Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're thrilled. We have uh, Andrew Studdiford from National Review and National Review Institute. He's the editor of their Capital Matters. Ed, how's it going? It's going good, Ron. The heat's broken a little bit in Dallas, didn't get over 100 this week, so we're good. <laughs> Same here in California. We're having uh, typical Mediterranean weather, so looking forward to it. But I'm really excited about today's show. Let me read Andrew's bio. I, I'm not going to do him justice, but Andrew Studdiford is the editor of National Review's Capital Matters, which is a new initiative focused on financial and economic coverage. He joined NR and National Review Institute in March 2020. Prior to that, he qualified as, a turn, as an attorney in the U.K., and worked as a CEO of a U.S. subsidiary of a Nordic investment bank. He's written widely for lots of different uh, places. Best place to find him is National Review. Uh, I love his articles. Andrew, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Well, it's great. It's great to be here, and uh, uh, it's cooling down a little bit in New York here too, as well. Oh, good. Uh, well, you know, we're making our way through the National Review masthead. We've had Kevin Williamson on twice, Jay Nordlinger, Charles Cook. And David Bonson, and now so we you've have... had all the good people. You've had what? all the good people. <laughs> Actually, when I no, say no. that, there are many good people, but I wouldn't include there, myself in that great company. There, there are. I, I, if I have time, I'll ask you some questions because I know you, you, you've been writing for National Review since '92. Is that right? Uh, that's exactly right. Um, I, um, I came to America. In, I moved to America uh, in in '91, and. Um, I uh, happen to know is a, a friend of my parents, the then editor of National Review, uh, John O'Sullivan. John O'Sullivan, And, sure. and um, w w one day I, I, he said, oh, we need an article. We were having dinner because we, we, we lived actually fairly near each other. And uh, he said, oh, I uh, really need an article on this. And I said, um, oh, well, I, it was about Russia. And I said, well, I'm going to Russia uh, in, in, in a week. Uh, to stay with some people at the British Embassy. Uh, could I write it? And if you hate it, um, you can just tear it up and I'll never ask you again. And it was a witness to, to this conversation. And she said, oh, bold. And, and uh, John said, absolutely. And uh, that was the beginning of it. Fantastic. Yeah, John, John Sullivan, he was great. He's got, he's coined that Sullivan's Law. Yeah. Well, I love that. Worked for Margaret Thatcher, right? He did indeed. He worked for Margaret uh, Thatcher for quite a few years and, um, and was also involved uh, with uh, helping her with her, um, her autobiography, if I recall. Ah, right. Okay. Um, and I have to ask you, did you ever get a chance to meet William Buckley? I did. I was very, very lucky, and uh, because I was, because I, I was writing then, and, and um, I used to write a lot about, and still do, about uh, European matters or whatever. And uh, so someone said, "Well, would you like to come?" They had these editorial dinners. Would you like to come to an editorial dinner? So you know, I put on my 
best suit and best tie, and, and off I went. And it was it was marvelous. It was it was a it was a real retro experience. Uh, there was sort of there were still cigarettes and silver cases, um, but the silver boxes rather. Um, but there were about fifteen people there, twenty people there. And then there was that terrifying moment, and you're all sitting around the table. And I'm thinking this is fun, and nothing is called for except to listen. And he just suddenly across and looked at me and said, "Now, tell us what's going on in Europe." <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> wow, oh, that's awesome. I love I love listening to Buckley stories. The people that have met him. Um, so. <sighs> Andrew, I'm, I'm probably going to focus all on ESG, but uh, I, you know, I know this acronym was developed in 2005, but today more than 90% of the S&P 500 companies are publishing ESG reports. I don't know. There's something like what, two and a half trillion dollars in assets invested in this thing. How the heck did this diffuse so fast? I, well, the, 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 the simple answer and the cynical answer is money. Um, I came across, yes, for many, I, I came across it towards the end of my financial career. Um, and uh, I'd, I've worked off and on um, for many, not just finally as CEO, but for decades in, 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 in the industry. And over in Europe, and I was mainly involved with basically European equities, but into the US market. And I came, there was a thing called SRI, you also have it here in, in, in the US, Socially Responsible Investment. And that was perfectly harmless, actually. Uh, if you, that's what you wanted, that was fine. And even, you know, I had uh, institutional clients was, was who I dealt with. And for example, if you were selling money to, not selling stocks to a fund that was managed for, for example, a church retirement group, and they would say uh, no alcohol, for example, in this, or no cigarettes. Uh, you knew not to recommend those sort of stocks to them, and that to me struck me as being entirely legitimate. Uh, uh, why should you? I mean, I think having investment products that are tailored to the needs of specific investments is a terrific thing. ESG is rather different. Why? I didn't really ask you a question, so I shall now. Um, the uh, I, I think the reason that it really took off uh, was uh, twofold. Um, the first is I think the, the the business and financial community sort of panicked after the great financial crisis, and uh, and I think they panicked incorrectly, and and, and may, uh, not mainly, but partly because they misunderstood how it had happened and why it had happened. And they felt they wanted to put on a different face to the outside world. That was part of it. Um, another part of it, you know, was you know, people's opinions change over time. But the other thing, which I think people began to realize, um, certainly towards the end of the last decade, and certainly even more so, this is there's a lot of money in green. There's a lot of green in green, if I could put it that way. <laughs> And it, of course, ESG is not just about the environment. It's, it's, it's environmental, our environmental, uh, social and governance. That's the E and the S and the G. I, just, I, I, I dream of the day when I can drop putting in paren. When I write about it, this is what it is. But every time I experiment with um, leaving out the E, the S and the, and the explanation, somebody angrily uh, emails me or puts in the comments, how am I expected to know what this is? And um, <laughs> however, it's big business. It's big business. 
It is. I, I, I know all the big four in it. The McKinsey, I was just reading a report yesterday. I'm going to have a question for you on that too. But I, I want to back up and go a little bit broader than just ESG because I know it's part of a broader shift that we're seeing from shareholder you know, capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. And my problem with stakeholder theory, I mean, it sounds wonderful and beautiful until you're trying to analyze where should that, you know, marginal stakeholder dollar go? Should it go to the customers who want lower prices, the employees want higher wages, the suppliers who want higher prices for what they sell the company or to the community and higher taxes? I mean, what's the guiding principle? At least under shareholder capitalism, the guiding principles, the price the price mechanism takes care of those trade-offs. Here we have nothing. Uh, and that, of course, is part of the virtue of it, uh, the vice or the virtue. I think the vice, but part of the virtue for those that practice it, because it introduces a very welcome element of unaccountability. Uh, who takes the decisions? And it, and it basically gives those decisions to management to a degree, very often acting in uh, conjunction with, 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 with activist groups or whoever. Um, but it is, it is, uh, it was all part of this retreat, you know, wanting a, a new model capitalism after the, the financial crisis. It has very old roots, um, and but I think it's absolute nonsense. And the starting point, I mean, if I can be blunt, and, and the starting point is based on a false premise, because what it, it, it underlying it is the idea that uh, that that. Um, shareholders and stakeholders are in conflict well um if a typical stakeholder is your is, is your customer if you treat your customer badly you're not going to be in business for very long uh, there's no conflict uh how do you increase shareholder value by building market share and by and, and by and, and by growing the company with with, with, with more sales um rip off the, the customer and you're not going to be around too long you're not going to be around too long uh, equally workers people say well what about workers rights um, well um, if you uh, certainly in the west I wouldn't say this would be the case in China if you behave disgracefully towards uh, your workers you're not going to get the best and the brightest who you want and again I think there's no conflict I think it was the idea that there was a fundamental, there are conflicts, of course, here and there, but the idea that there was a fundamental conflict between ownership, and ownership is the core of our free enterprise society, and the stakeholder is an ideologically driven one, because it automatically pushes the owner, the shareholder, he or she is automatically the bad person, the exploiter. And I, and I think that's just wrong. Yeah, it could... And, you know, even even backing up from that further, and because Ed and I are big Austrian economists, so heavily influenced Mises, Hayek, all of that. The whole point of free markets is consumer welfare, not business welfare, not even shareholders. That's why we conservatives always say we're pro-market, but not necessarily pro-business. But this distorts that. It's almost like this is stateholder capitalism. It, it is stakeholder capitalism, and uh, or state. I meant stateholder, stateholder. Well, uh, what it is, uh, um, I, I think, if you, if you if you if you look at it, if it, it is history, um, stake and, and and let us be very clear about not exaggerating things. 
Um, the, the concept of stakeholder capitalism, it, different, it has had different names, has been around for a very long time. Uh, you can trace it back actually to the Middle Ages. And um, the, before, before joint stock companies even got going. And, um, but it took, it took root in the 20th century and it had fairly benign forms in the post-war years. And I'll start with the post-war years. If you looked at West Germany, for example, you have, and you still, you still have it today, it's called Mitbestimmung, um, bad pronunciation, apologies if you have any German uh, listeners, <laughs> and um, which was basically that you had to have uh, worker representation on the, on, on, on the, on the board. Uh, they might own a share or two, but that wasn't a qualification. They were picked by the trade unions. And that really is a form of stakeholder capitalism. There were all sorts of reasons why you had to introduce that, particularly in Germany, but it was part of a broader intellectual tradition. Now, to go to your stateholder point, uh, the predecessor of that, and I don't like throwing around the, uh, the F word in the sense of fascism, but I, I'm afraid that one of the forms of corporatism uh, and you see it to a greater or lesser degree in the fascist economies of, uh, at least in theory, less in practice uh, of um, pre-war Europe or, for example, mid-century Argentina. It's another variant of it. And the idea was that you would have capitalism, but it was a harnessed capitalism subordinated to the interests of the state. And I think you now see that in China. It's, it's a discussion I have endlessly with my uh, friends and colleagues at National Review uh, and people who refer to me, well, it's a communist, it's a communist country. Well, not really, actually. And um, what you have seen, especially under Z, is a move to this idea that you, you can have a free market sort of, and you can have capitalism sort of, or not sort of, sort of, uh, but it is subordinated to the interests of the state. And maybe the state will take no interest in you at all, uh, or maybe it will say, this is what we want you to do. And that is a fairly classic, there's a lot more to corporatism than just this, but if we're talking about how companies are treated, for example, again, uh, if, if, if you look at the, the pre-war model, the power of the board of directors uh, was put above that of the shareholders in at least one fascist economy. And that you see makes it easy for the man from the ministry to ring up and say, now, um, mm. this is the direction we would like things to go. And this is the antithesis of free markets. Uh, and it is also, frankly, I think it's a form of theft. Right, right. Well, Andrew, this is great. It's flying by for me. Uh, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. You can also check out our Patreon channel, and you can find that at patreon.com slash TSOE. That channel is now sponsored by 90 Minds. More minds meld at 90 Minds. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Accountants and bookkeepers, listen up. Save time by streamlining your customers' payables with Melio. Melio lets you make all your customers' business payments on one simple dashboard. There's no monthly fees and you can send ACH transfers for free. 
Best of all, Melio syncs with your accounting software so everything is organized. Do yourself and your customers a favor. Join Melio so you can spend less time on payments and more time growing your firm. Visit Melio.com slash accountants for more information. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise with National Review's Andrew Studdiford. And A Andrew, I wanted to ask you about something. I came across an interview this past week that was in Reason uh, Magazine, actually a podcast, with uh, Nick Gillespie talking to John Mackey's uh, uh, Whole Foods is John Mackey, who's retiring. Yeah. Uh, and um, he, he had a, a very interesting distinction because, as you are probably aware, he wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. There's a stakeholder element of that. But uh, And I'm, 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 uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but effectively he says there's the distinction between conscious capitalism and ESG is that conscious capitalism is a management philosophy used to run the company with value creation and stakeholder independence. I thought that was interesting the way he put it. And he says, but ESG is a political philosophy designed to take the power away from stakeholders. And I'd like you to react to that distinction he's made. Is it a distinction without a difference in your view? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe what he, what he means by the, uh, the, the first half is that I think he's referring to it as a value creating proposition. And, uh, and you, you can call it you, you can call it stakeholder. I don't know, but, but I go back to my point: is that if you are establishing a name for quality of food, for example, um, and maybe this is what he meant, or looking after your employees, 
yes, you can call that uh, treating them very well. Um, for example, um, you, you know, offering much more generous um, maternity leave, which is not difficult in this country, I hate to be critical, uh, but um, that's a way of um, attracting good workers. And so I think that, again, I go back to this idea about there being a clash between um, good ownership and particularly ownership that's talking about long-term value. Value creation can be short-term, can be long-term. There's no particular, I, I don't, there's nothing wrong with trading. Um, but the uh, creating a business uh, which you want to be around for a while, you want to create a culture which is going to flourish. If you want to call it, if that's what he meant, and if that's what you call stakeholder, fine. I think, you know, it's just common sense, basically. Um, uh, Gordon Gecko was not running a particularly good business in the longer term. And um, uh, he was also breaking the law, which, by the way, you know, what people always go on about wicked shareholder uh, capitalism. Uh, Milton Friedman was very key, keen to point out that, A, uh, yes, the shareholder was paramount within the bounds of the law. And I'll get back to that within the bounds of the law. But I have two things I would like to say about that. Well, one one is obvious. Uh, the second thing is, is he wrote, uh, it's a very famous article, which I know you guys have, have read. Uh, it's in the New York Times, 1970. Uh, New York Times, those were the days. And, uh, uh, and I, I, I would strongly recommend reading. It's an easy and good read. Um, moments of dogmatism, but don't worry about them. And, and just, 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 just read and learn. I've read it decades ago and continue to learn from it. And um, the, 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 it, it, it's, it's straightforward. He said he refers to the company should be run according, not only to observing the law, but to, I think the exact words are well-established, I think it's well-established, ethical standards. Um, and he saw that as something absolutely natural. Because remember, in a way, he saw it as an extension of the person. And do you want, and I think one of the reasons that, 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 that I like uh, free markets and capitalism is uh, I think and, uh, that they promote human flourishing. And I, you've had David uh, Barnson, you were saying, uh, on the show, and David has written and talked enormous about, uh, about that. And, and good, his new book, I should say, um, whose title now, David, don't kill me, I, I forget, but look at David Barnson, it's, 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 it's terrific. And it's basically just a selection of very good quotes, um, which, which, which he's picked. Um, so just as you want in your personal life to behave decently, I hope, or do our best anyway, um, so it is in, your, in that extension of your personal life, which is the company that you own. Um, now, I talked about the law, and here's where we get to the other side of it and um, what Matthew was saying about a political agenda. Now, one of my objections, and that's a very pompous way of putting it, uh, but anyway, why, why I don't like it uh, is, uh, is, is that I see stakeholderism as a way of actually getting around the law, not in the sense of law breaking. Uh, these people aren't breaking any laws. But on the other hand, they find what the three of us value, which is democracy, and the, and the legislative process, they want to get around it. Mm. And corporate power, uh, and, and, you know, if you try to pa pass a law, 
imposing on people the sort of things that are now imposed in the name of ESG or imposing on companies the sort of things that are imposed in the name of ESG or, uh, or stakeholderism, um, you'd be laughed, you know, you, you, you'd get sick, you know, the squad would probably vote for you. Um, and that would be that. But what this does is it bypasses that entirely because companies are enormously powerful. They um, can change the, the how their employees behave um and they can in they, they they just have they've got their money they've got their influence they've got their advertising dollars uh, they and and you can and how they allocate their capital has basically been transformed from a financial decision into the decision to put forward a certain agenda and they and that agenda has now taken on, uh, as Mackie pointed out, an increasingly political guise. Now, if you want to scrap the oil and gas sector, or oh, God help you, because it's going to be very cold winter, uh, and uh, and as we are all Europeans, even more so, beginning to learn. But okay, fine, let's have a vote on it. What you don't do is to say that this will be decided in the boardroom. And remember that there are two halves to this equation. The first half are the people sitting in the boardroom, uh, or in practical matters, the day-to-day -day managers, but you know what I mean. The other half of it are, is this, this now weird bastardization, if I'm allowed to say that, of, of, uh, of the concept of what ownership of a share means. Um, I go back to... Uh, there is nothing wrong with a church pension fund saying that it doesn't want to invest in alcohol or cigarettes. Um, the that you you know you expect that, and and if their and their pensioners would also expect that. Um, but this is but, but but this is something else. What you've now got are these shareholders, these giant shareholders, um, who fall into two categories. Uh, Two categories, and I'm going to generalize about about both of them. The first category is you have uh, the, um, the what you might call the public retirement systems uh, for the state employees um, and all the rest of it, and they are taking decisions. They're largely unaccountable. Managers are taking decisions, and on behalf of, notionally on behalf of their pensioners. Um, and in, depending on the nature of those pensions, when we're talking states, we're not generally, well, we can be talking 401ks, but, we, but generally here, we're, we're all of this is coming from the taxpayer. And they're taking what is either the pensioner's money or, 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 or indirectly and ultimately the taxpayer's money if those share, if, if, if they don't generate the returns and they're putting it towards a political purpose. That's really not what shareholding was meant to be about. And uh, you and I may be underwriting it. The other thing is that you have these giant institutional shareholders who I'm afraid are part, are, are part of the problem. And um, they, and particularly the, 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 the big, big index funds, they own a huge slug of, the, um, uh, of, 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 of corporate America. And what they are beginning to um, 
are not beginning to, have been doing this quite some time, are saying to companies, if you want us to invest in you, or if we are invested in you, uh, we want you to pursue A, B, and C. And if A, B, and C, I mean, I've spoken to institutional clients all my life, uh, all my business life, almost all my business life. And yes, institutional clients often had demands of companies in which they were invested, but they, they were always designed to ensure that that company, perhaps they were wrong, perhaps they were right, but the core aim was to make, was for those companies to be more profitable. Um, what these people, shareholders, are doing, and this is a strange, and this is beyond the sort of Milton Friedman world. He was writing, he was writing in 1970. They are shareholders, and they are insisting that companies behave in a way that may not maximize shareholder return on the long or the short term. And they're able to do so because of their enormous power, and also because they can ignore the shareholders below them. And the, so if you are, uh, if you are a, a BlackRock, to take an entirely randomly chosen name, um, you, are, you, you vote the shares, but you don't have to, and I will give BlackRock some credit for something in a second, you don't have to listen to the people whose shares those really are, not legally, because the, the, the fund owns the shares, BlackRock advises the fund. But the people who really own those shares are mom and pop. It, it's, it's small savers or even large savers, and they aren't being given a say. Now, to give BlackRock some credit, what they are doing is that they are, they're aware of this criticism, and they are now saying, well, we're going to find ways and they are doing it, I think, for some of their already for some of their larger institutional shareholders. The idea is that this will spread, that, that they will find ways to get the smaller shareholders or all shareholders in their funds to give some sort of general preference as to how they would like uh, those shares to be voted. And that's a definite step. If, if BlackRock follows through with this, I hope that that will then set a precedent which people which which people follow. Well, this is outstanding. By the way, the book is called There's No Free Lunch. That's David Watson's no new book. So there you go. <laughs> he, he hasn't asked me to say this. He'd probably be embarrassed that I'm doing it, but it's really good and uh, you learn a lot from it. Yes, it is. It's a great book. We had him on. We talked about that. But uh, we're up against our break. Want to remind folks that they can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored now by Melio. Melio is accounts payable solution that gives you both you and your clients will love. Go to melio.com slash accountants to get started for free. And right now, a word from those sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Andrew Stutterford. He's the editor at National Review's Capitals Matter and uh, Capital Matters. And Andrew, um, you wrote what I thought was just a great article just four days ago, August 8th, called China and the ESG Dilemma. And it was really focused on the province of, uh, is it Xinjiang? I, I can't, I'm not sure. I think so, but I'm, not, uh, yeah. I'm not an expert there. <laughs> and you know how they are producing solar panels, obviously, with slave labor and the other human rights abuses. Um, what does ESG say about this? Not enough. Uh, the uh, the it, 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 there is we, we we it seems as so often is the case um, that the um, the West's um, morality, so, so to speak, uh, stops at its own borders, and or its moralizing stops at its own borders. And um, we had a we had a very um, Interesting uh, case in point um, that uh, this is not strictly on the ESG point, but the the uh, one leading investment bank, or leave it like that, uh, famously said that it was not going to list new companies unless they had, I think it was either it was a certain percentage of women on their board. Well, you know, it's, it's their business; they can do as, as they choose. Uh, although as a shareholder in that company, it is a public company, I wouldn't be necessarily thrilled with that. But the um, they said, but not if it's an Asian company. And, um, uh, you know, I raised an eyebrow at, about that. That is a comparatively, you know, small, if you like, compared to the situation in China. Or the situation, take another example, and we'll get back to China, because I think China is really the important one. Um, Russia. Uh, so there you have it. Russia has been a monstrous, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I used to go there a bit in the 90s and watched with horror, the, which, was a, which, which was a terribly rough time and half, partly explains why they've got to where they've got to now. But it's clearly been since, you can say 2008, you can say 2014, the first invasion of Ukraine, a monstrous place. And... Um, the Ormost regime, a monstrous regime. And um, yet I read with absolute amazement, and it saturates the whole country, and, and, and there's no one truly independent of it. Uh, they've long gone. And yet I read that after the invasion, 
of uh, the, the second invasion of Ukraine this year's, um, that ESG, the ESG fund still held, I think, Russian debt. Well, how? Uh, because you fail on the S and you fail on the G. Uh, e, we'll leave that floating in the air. You then move to China. China, we, we, we've talked in the first segment um, about harnessed capitalism. Harnessed capitalism means you have a, 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 either, a, a present, either a potential actual activist shareholder who doesn't own any shares. Well, to me, that fails every G uh, imaginable. You then have genocide, um, uh, mass arrests, and slave labor. Uh, I, I don't think uh, that really works with the S, the social. And then you have the E. Well, we know about China and the environment. So I, do, I frankly, uh, I, I don't think it should be mandated. And I said this in the article, um, and we can discuss that why not, if you want. But um, I, I think that any, ES, any ESG fund uh, that invests in China ought to be laughed out of court. Uh, and as I, as, 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 uh, I used to say, um, ESG or China, choose one. And then somebody uh, commented, well, why would you choose either? <laughs> and, so, and, and so I now put ESG, China, choose one, open paren, or better, neither. Neither. <laughs> you know, I, I know you're going to remember this because it just really struck me reading your article. You quoted some academics, I think from Nottingham, yeah. um, <clears throat> who said, oh, but if we try and make China slave free, it, it could have a perverse effect. You know, we could China could create two brands. They could have the cheaper solar panels, you know, that are made by slaves and they could have a premium priced one. And I thought, oh, geez, that's bizarre. But Andrew, I don't remember any of these fine distinctions being made when it was apartheid. Nope. And indeed, uh, you're, 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 you're very true. And to be fair to those guys, they are in no way defending the, the, the Chinese system. Uh, um, they did a, they've, they've done a lengthy report. I've read some of it. They're, they're not apologists. Um, what they are doing is pointing out a, a practical reality. Um, and here we go to the, the point about how, you know, we don't have, universal moralities in the world. That's just the life we see that we're seeing this now with Russian oil. So the West says um, we're not going to buy Russian oil. So the uh, Indians say, well, we will. Um, and so it is with solar panel. They are right that if you have, um, the, if the, uh, got an awful way to put it, but if you have slave-free solar panels, and non-slavery panels, you, you, you can charge your premium price to the West, charge your cheaper ones to the people who don't care, and that's how it would work. So the only answer to this is, and the, the answer I would support, uh, is we just don't deal with Chinese solar panel companies, uh, period. And that removes that subsidy. Uh, the, what, the, what the people, uh, academics at Nottingham, were saying and this is the problem. I mean, why, what, what originally attracted my attention is, I mean, China and the ESG has been bugging me as a topic for a while, but when someone referred to there being a dilemma, there's no dilemma when, uh, if you're, particularly if you're, you're marketing yourself as moral and ethical, 
there's no dilemma where slave labor is involved. I mean, that strikes me as being really easy. Um, but hey, in the ESG world, nothing is quite as it seems. But, uh, but the point that he went on, uh, uh, the chap quoted in the FDR, it was, came from the, an FD article I was quoting, if you remember, uh, 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 Mr. Cocaine, and he was, or I don't know how you pronounce his name, but uh, something like that. And he, he, he basically then drew the apartheid comparison. And what he said uh, was effectively South Africa is, I didn't quote it all. Um, he said South Africa then is not China now. South Africa back in the 70s and, 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 and 80s, you could squeeze. It was in no way an integral mm. part of the global economy. The problem is um, for, the, for, for, the, for the world that China is um, a massive part of the global economy. Um, and, and anyone you know who, who has children see, see, see where their clothes come from uh, or your mobile phone. Um, so, the, so, so you know how much how much can you cut out of China? You know, I don't know, but I do know uh, that you shouldn't be buying solar panels, um, uh, which indirectly or directly take the Nottingham uh, point. Uh, is, is, is basically made by slave labor. What you need to do is to reorient your supply chains. And one of the things that you have to watch for is, I, I don't know what, what term I could possibly use for this, but, but, but you see this, and this is, this is by no means an unusual thing. The, the, um, uh, you, you, you see that the solar panel, or the, it's really the polysilicon actually, which, which we're generally talking about, stuff that goes into solar panels. And uh, that it is um, sent to say Vietnam, and it is mysteriously uh, relabeled as um, a Vietnamese product, mm -hmm. not a Chinese product. And that's and, and how and 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 you and you find that with um, uh, food food embargoes or you know I mean, trade embargoes have been got round for years by if you like a little bit of the the equivalent of money laundering basically. Sure. So the less we can do with China, the better. Life. But let's start by saying you cannot be well. You should not. Cannot. You should not be ESG and in China. Andrew, the, and you guys have been all over this at NR, just great coverage. The SE, the proposed SEC regulations, where they start talking about scope one, scope two, scope three. I mean, th this, are you confident this will be struck down by the courts? Um, there you'd have to ask um, Dan uh, McLaughlin or, or, or Andy. I'm a, I'm a British lawyer. I'm not an American one. But I am reasonably confident that it would be. Um, I think they're going to try it. And because why not? Uh, you know, the, the cost for the litigation is paid for by the taxpayer. You might get away with it. And it's going to, inter it's, and it's going to inconvenience companies and cost the shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. So they, I, I'm sure that in some form or another, and probably a pretty bad one, they're going to push through this proposal. And then someone's going to sue. And then there's going to be litigation. And God knows how long litigation will take. Uh, and in the meantime, will they put, would a poor, I don't know, would a court enjoin the mm. SEC to suspend it? I don't know. Right. 
I don't either. Yeah, it's a good question. Last question for you. Um, I remember Jimmy Carter said in a speech, we are now free of that inordinate fear of communism. Do you think we'll ever get over our inordinate fear of nuclear energy? (laughs) What a good question. Um, If if my name was Hans or Franz, the answer might be no. Uh, um, I think... And there you have, uh, by the way, the Germans are, who do have, and, you know, I've I've lived some months in Germany over the years and, you know, been there countless times. They do have an an inordinate and superstitious fear of of nuclear, which has some very deep roots in German culture. But I think that we in the U.S. will get over our fear of U.S., uh, of, of, of nuclear power, but there are two caveats. The first is, can we um, can, can we also at the same time of shedding our fear of nuclear power, because we realize that you know this is what we need for the for, for the foreseeable future. And at the same time, can we um, shed our need to have seven years of environmental battles before we buy it, before we put these things in place. And, 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 and that, that, that I don't know, because this is, this is a society which is legalistic in the uh, extreme, which sometimes can be good and it uh, sometimes can be bad. The other thing that you have to know, we have to ask ourselves. Now, I speak, I was actually in Stockholm, uh, flew into Stockholm um, uh, unknowingly, just as the cloud was drifting over from Chernobyl. And, um, and we flew in, and I, this is really embarrassing. I apologize to the climate. It was in those happy days when, when people did use private jets occasionally on business trips. It was me and about 15 other people, I hasten to add. And we went to see these this company, Swedish company, very phlegmatic. Oh, you haven't chosen a very good day to come to Sweden. Why not? We said, because we haven't read the news or anything like that. We just got in the plane and come to the meeting and uh, said, oh, well, there's there's something nuclear and it's from Russia and it's now in Sweden and they're burning the children's shoes. This is not reassuring news. And um, so the test is going to be if we have a revived nuclear industry in the US, how is it going to, I do think we will, how if we can get over the construction problem but how are people going to react if there is a disaster and by disaster i don't mean a chernobyl uh we can talk about chernobyl forever but trust me you know soviet technology and maintenance is not where you want to be but assuming that it's done to, to, to proper standards accidents can happen what happens if there is a leak like in Three Mile Island? And you and I, we, we, I suspect we, 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 we remember this. And that was that, really. And that is going to be the test. Um, can, we resi- can we live through, uh, the, the, can we accept the twin realities that this is one way of coping with the climate issue at the same time it will come with a risk and just hopefully one time in, you know, a hundred million, um, something goes wrong. Can we avoid panicking about it? Right. 
Well, I, I hope you're right. I, that, that would be wonderful. Uh, well, thank you so much, Andrew. This has been an honor. Ed's going to take you the rest of the way home on the last segment. And folks, yeah. I'd like to remind you, if you uh, go out to that Patreon channel and subscribe to our show, and you'll get bonus episodes at a certain tier, you will also get a shout out like Geraldine Carter did. Check out Geraldine Carter at Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, her podcast, and then her um, website is GeraldineCarter.com. Now a word from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Andrew Studdiford is the editor of National Review's Capital Manners and our guest today on The Soul of Enterprise. And Andrew, to, to wrap up the show here, you were talking with Ron about nuclear energy, and I agree there. We need to figure out a way to get our our, our, uh, our hearts past that and minds past it. But let's talk about something more immediate, and that is the potential for energy or fuel poverty in Europe this winter. Uh, it's, very, it's, it's very real indeed. And I, I know we only have very short time um it's a long it's a it's, it's a long topic uh basically the problem is is that europe became dangerously reliant it had a dual strategy which was to become reliant on russian gas because what could go wrong with that and to invest massively in renewables and the problem with renewables is nothing intrinsically wrong with renewables but they're not ready for prime time and they need proper backup and in a nutshell, the result of this is that 
prices have soared for natural gas. Um, they're not equipped to, you know, they, they, they will, they're going to try and fill the gap left by Russian gas, which is which, which will be switched off in the course of the year. It's already much less uh, has been supplied than was. And there is a danger that people may, that, that I don't think people are going to go really go cold, but bills have gone through the roof um, and that's going to cause problems. Firms might go out of business because they're highly energy intensive and it's going to be a very rough ride. But the longer term message is if you want to transition to a greener economy, a greener sort of climate sort of friendly energy generation, as people see it, um, then you've got to you've got to do it properly and in an orderly fashion. And that means you've got to have a transition that actually works not one that is a miserable failure. And in Europe, what we're seeing is the preview of what a miserable failure will look like. And we just have to make sure that's not going to happen over here too. And do you think that's going to be, it's going to be beyond Germany and, and will extend to say yes. London and uh, really? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it'll be, it'll be, there'll be two. I mean, London, the, the UK has its own problems. I mean, it, it's gone its own demented way, but it's, it, it's, it's ended up in the same demented place, basically, but for different, slightly different reasons. Um, but but, the, but the, the, the problem in Europe is that Germany is, of course, the economic hub of Europe. And if it, it's also, we all remember supply chains. And if its factories run into problems, I think they actually may get away with it because they, by, by cutting down, the, 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 don't assume disaster, but it's, 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 it's a possibility there's going to be real trouble. And if German factories close down and supply bits and pieces to factories in Italy, uh, then you see a repeat of the supply chain mess that we saw we we, we see we saw after the pandemic. Um, they may they may be able to wing it, but the cost of winging it is going to be uh, enormous. And the financial cost is people's energy bills. And I've got lots of friends in the UK uh, have already gone through the roof, and they they have further to go. And you are going. I've seen one estimate of forty percent of Brits might be in fuel poverty. To use the phrase. Uh, I think it's already one in four Germans. Um, I'm just going to be in real hardship for a lot of people. And with hardship is also going to come, become political problems, dissension. And that's exactly what Vladimir Putin wants to say, uh, wants to see. Uh, so it's just been very, very poorly thought through. And the result, I think, is a, a horrible mess. Well, this has just been absolutely outstanding. So glad to have you on the, the show today. And we hope maybe you'll come back and, and talk more about some of these issues in the, in the future. But Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we have Kevin Smoot, who's a CPA who converted to subscription. So we're going to hear his story. All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then. <laughs> This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post full show notes with our interview with Andrew and where you can find him and read his writings. Also, you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.
Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, 